So welcome everyone to the next episode of the Catributor podcast. And well, today's guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I am uh, Drakinafel of uh, the YouTube channel of the same name. <laughs> I, uh, I cover naval history, uh, mostly 1850 to 1950 and a little bit before then, but not really any period after. So um, I guess that's why I'm here to talk about shipping. <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. And you probably have a lot more knowledge about history than we do. Yeah, just, just, you know, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to get uh, some actual historical context for a change rather than us just blathering about pixel ships. Well, yeah, I mean, the, fortunately, at least uh, the the first chunk that we, I think we're going to be talking about are definitely uh, historical. Then it goes a little bit a little bit different, but we'll yeah. see. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna start off with uh, talking about Dutch cruisers, and then we'll do the mm -hmm. battle cruisers. Because we've we've kind of semi got our hands on the Dutch cruisers at this point. Yes, but there's not there's like three ships that actually existed, or is it like four? Four ships, I think, and then the rest are kind of I think increasingly speculative after that point. I believe. Yeah, um, I need to just quickly check the Dutch cruiser line because I had everything set up for <laughs> German battle. Oh, right. uh, I should, should have said we were going to be that way around, but yeah, right. uh, Van, Van Kingsbergen to De Reuter all existed, yeah. and then after that point, not so much. Yeah, so the Jar the Javas, yeah, De Reuter. Um, From practice, you've got the, you've got the, you've got the De Zeven Provencian, which is kind of the the premium. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's that, a, that definitely yeah. existed. That, that was firmly post-war. Although, yeah, the start like... started started before, but ah, finished, right, okay. finished after, um, I believe. Yeah, it's um, it's quite an interesting little little uh, little ship. But yeah, I think so. Uh, what's it called? I'm just trying to. Apologies to the du to the Dutch people out there. I think the uh, Celebes or Celebes, the Tier Five, basically. I know it's pronounced um, differently in English than Dutch, so you know. Yeah. Two languages to get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you can probably see just by, by looking at it, it's kind of a uh, an evolution of the De Reuter. So I mean, it didn't exist. It didn't ex exist per se, but um, it's a a variant that people were thinking of at the time. Um, so, what what about the the higher tiers? Right, are they completely made up, or were they like planned ships? Or you know, well, that? the the, the is probably the most interesting of the higher tier ones in that it is Project Ten Forty Seven. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked too much into their higher tiers, into the higher tier stuff, other than as you mentioned the the Ten Forty Seven. Um. Oh, oh, what the background they're giving to it is, other than my, the only thing that immediately comes to mind looking at it is possibly the tier nine, maybe one of the earlier 1047 designs. Yeah, the little in-game blurb does give that impression that it's smaller, you know, based yeah. on that design, but smaller guns. Yeah, because there, there, there were some, there were some design studies. Uh, for what would eventually become 1047 that looked at some some uh more super cruiser than battle cruiser uh concepts so that that may be where that's come from and 
um i mean look at looking at them the slight the thing that's slightly weird for me actually is looking at them the tier seven uh the Eintracht, that looks more like a continued development of the Deroyter Celebes Decembrevencian line than the tier six, which I'm not even going to pr- attempt to pronounce. I think <laughs> it's caked down, but I, I don't entirely know if that's correct. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen the blurbs for the, uh, the higher tier Dutch cruisers yet, but, you know. The, the the lower tier the lower tier ones are pretty pretty solid good designs they they that any kind of dutch cruiser line was always going to suffer from the fact that you know a the dutch were not building 10,000 ton treaty compliant cruisers pre pre world war 2 so which is always going to limit them to the lower tiers anyway and of course they got overrun fairly quickly in during the war and they weren't building that much before the war either so you're always going to have to have a lot of speculative shipping to uh, to fill the upper half of the tiers I think this I might be why they like added something radical like airstrikes into it because uh, there wasn't maybe that yeah. much to go on it, 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 that, that, always, that felt a bit odd to me that like okay it's a new mechanic but it doesn't have any particular kind of Dutch flavour about it. So. <laughs> no, I mean, the, 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 I suppose the only thing you could possibly conceive of was the, the Dutch did have a number of very interesting technologies that everybody promptly stole um, when they got their hands on them. So I think the, the submarine snorkel is probably the most famous one of those for sure. Yeah, and that uh, you've also got, and again, I'm probably going to horribly mispronounce it, um, the Hazemeyer stabilised mountings for the Bofors. 40 mils. Uh, the Allies adopted those. Those first came in um, on a Dutch ship that was fleeing the German occupation. Um, so I, I guess maybe you could shoot for sort of a tangential. Well, they were looking at very interesting and odd technologically advanced concepts. And I'm still not sure. Yeah, I'm still not sure where the idea of let's call in an airstrike, which really wasn't a thing generally at that kind of level of, yeah. of cooperation at the time comes from. But I mean, briefly diverting from the historical side of things in the small amount of testing I've been able to do. It, much as I know some people hate it, it does seem to me to at least have one slight benefit, which is uh, it makes it much, much more difficult for people to camp behind islands. That, that does seem to be its primary purpose. Uh, it, it's really hard to hit anything on the move. Yes. Those mm-hmm. bombs. But if you get somebody that's not paying attention, that's stationary, camping next to an island, whatever, even if it's someone you can't necessarily see, but, you know, you can see their trails coming in, well, at the very least, you're either going to force them to move or else, especially with higher tier drops, they can mm. actually do quite a lot of damage if you stack them. But yeah. it, it's it's kind of a, an edge case thing because you don't necessarily get to do it every single game. And it's really useful when you do get to do it, but it's like taking an AA build ship into a into a, a game where there's no carriers, for example. Yeah. Quite a lot of the time, you might not actually get that much use out of it. Yeah, it's, it, I, it is going to be a bit of an interesting one to try and uh, to make work, because, it, again, I've done a limited amount of testing mostly running around in the Deserve and Prevention, and it's decent enough for hunting destroyers, but they it does feel a little bit 
squishy <laughs> and a little bit undergunned compared yeah. to some of the other cruisers that you run into, especially with the, f- the lack of torpedoes. You've kind of got the, the American style, we have no torpedoes, but you don't have the American style, let's cover it in guns. Yeah. Which yeah, that actually I've... leads me onto something I, w- I was going to ask about, because there is mm. one of them, I think it's the, the cake down at tier six, which appears to have plated up uh, like torpedo bays, I don't know what you'd call them exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, it does, in the um, back. Yeah, and I, I wondered about that, because the, 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 this, this is more getting into the history side of mm-hmm. things, but what did the, the, the Dutch not particularly rely on torpedoes on their surface ships, or what was the kind of naval philosophy that they had compared to other navies? Um, so... They most navies in the world at the time did go for uh, torpedo armament on their ships. Uh, the Dutch generally didn't, but again, I think this is a, it's partly a function of what is your mission profile and partly a function of just the size of the things because they're they're mostly kind of six to seven thousand tonners, the historical ones. Which that's putting you on a displacement level of something not even necessarily the size of an Atlanta, mm-hmm. or and we know that the Atlantas had a lot of stab- top-heavy stabilization problems, um, or perhaps an Arethusa or a Leander, and actually I think even the Atlantas and Leanders are slightly heavier. So there's not an awful lot of space or displacement to put thing to put in you know, weapon systems. And you see that with the fact that they're not the world's most heavily armed ships in the first place. And then you look at what, well, what is their role? They're mainly there. They're mainly being built to protect the Dutch East Indies. But the, the Dutch Navy is pretty aware to be honest at that point that they do not have the numbers or the firepower to take on the big sort of the big fish in that area, which is the Japanese Navy, mm. at which point having torpedoes is far less of a priority than it is for, say, the British or the Germans or the Japanese themselves, because they're all thinking in terms of, yeah, we might end up with a, a big capital ship engagement. And in that capital ship engagement, kind of, while they're distracted, we might need to run in and, and lob some torpedoes at something. Or, you know, if a battleship comes tearing over the horizon, it gives us a, an opportunity to do something rather than just die horribly. Whereas the Dutch are kind of thinking, well, the purpose of our cruisers is to deter people from coming after us in the first place. If the one big bad in the room, the Japanese come after us, having a couple of triple launches on either side of the handful of cruisers we've got isn't going to stop the Japanese in the slightest. <laughs> and it's going to add... It's going to add expense, it's going to add weight, and those are things that they can't really afford. So what? basically there's no point in having them. And they've got destroyers if they really absolutely have to do torpedo okay. runs. So it wasn't, it wasn't seen, seen as enough of a force multiplier on their cruisers to be worth the, the expense and the trouble of it, basically. Yeah, basically. I mean, it, eventually you're going to end up with things like the, um, obviously the, they were hoping to get the Project 1047s out there. That may well have changed the balance of how they consider things, because now they do have capital ships of, of a sort, which can go toe-to-toe with some some of the capital ships that they might face off against, like the Congos. 
but that never develops in history, so we don't really know how they would have, where they would have taken their fleet at that point. It would have been, it would be an interesting hypothetical of, you know, how, how well, I mean, obviously it probably wouldn't stack up very well against uh, anything bigger than, than the Congos probably, but yeah, like Congos and Fuzos and Ise's, it might be interesting as a hypothetical engagement to see how 1047 could have fared against them. Yeah, I mean, the the uh, the 1047s were, again, mostly a deterrence force um, in as much as, again, if, if Japan is coming after you, even if they built all three that they wanted to, it's still not going to stop a full Japanese mm -hmm. force. But I think what they were looking at at that point was that, obviously, bear in mind, there's not a war. At the time they're designing them, there's not a war with Germany going on. There's not a war with Italy going on. They're probably looking at it in terms of the Japanese they're expanding their fleet during the 1930s, so a few cruisers isn't going to be enough to deter them anymore. But, you know, a battle cruiser or two supported by cruisers and destroyers out there, that might deter them enough that they have to think about, you know... Is it worth the effort? Yeah, is it worth the effort? And if we commit enough forces to actually overwhelm them, which we can do, how much of those forces um, are, are we taking away from our home fleets, if you like, which then means that if Britain or America or even France decide, actually, we don't like this, we're going to intervene, do we now still have the force left for that? So in, in some ways, it's almost like a Tirpitz-style risk fleet strategy, but with this added extra layer of it's not just there to deter the enemy from doing something because it might cost them too much, it's kind of there to deter them from doing something because if they do and they weaken their own forces, then someone else might come in after them. Okay. It's kind of interesting because, you know, obviously a smaller country with a far more limited budget than was available to the Royal Navy or even the, the U.S. Navy coming up to the end of the 30s and the early 40s. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I suppose they would have had to come up with more um, interesting strategies other than let's just throw the home fleet out of them kind of thing. Which yeah. Could well, do. I mean, they're, they're left with this this odd circumstance of they've got an empire left from the time when the, the Dutch did actually have a fairly substantial fleet and could, you know, tell other people, no, this is ours, go away. But they they no longer have that, but they want to keep hold of thing, uh, their colonial possessions. So they've kind of got this choice of, well, either we just give up on the whole thing as a bad idea and just accept that the minute somebody wants to walk in and take it, they can and probably will fairly soon. Or we try and put together just enough of a force to get people to stay away from us. Um, and whatever, what is, a, what is that minimum level of force and therefore how much money do we have to spend from our limited budgets? Yeah, it's an interesting calculation. How much benefit do we get from like colonies still? So how much can we afford to spend to keep them at which point? Yeah. And given that we, yeah. And I mean, given that the Dutch East Indies did have a fair bit of oil, um, available, com especially at the time compared to the amount of oil that was being produced globally, because, you know, the North African and, um, Middle Eastern oil fields, especially the Middle Eastern oil fields, which these days we think of as the oil sources, mm -hmm. they hadn't been developed much or at all, depending on which country you're looking at in this I mean, time period. So, North Sea oil wasn't until, no. you know, that alone wasn't until after, what, that was all the 60s? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, back in the 30s and 40s, uh, a developing oil industry in uh, Dutch overseas colonial holding would look quite attractive to them because it would be a case of, oh, okay, we'll... Um, We've we've got an opportunity here to maybe make a, a fair bit of money, but obviously very, that didn't work out so well for them. Very Dutch, <laughs> yeah, really. So I, I mean, obviously we've had cruisers added, and um, it's it's interesting we have the uh, project ten forty seven as being uh, fitting in as a, a tier ten. Hmm super cruiser rather than in a more kind of uh, battleship role but further down the tiers than tier 10 yeah is, is, is there enough in, in your knowledge is, is there enough kind of um, uh, in terms of uh, battleship projects ideas that they had to maybe have a battleship or battle cruiser line alongside I mean I imagine there's certainly enough for uh, destroyers and almost certainly for uh, submarines as well if if and when they decide to add uh, more sublines to the game but uh, yeah, yeah I mean they, they, they've they've almost certainly got enough out there to to work with for a destroyer line or at least a partial destroyer line I mean mm -hmm. again you the the Dutch Navy really did get a little bit um, stuffed over by World War Two, because they had a whole ton of stuff that they were just in the process of thinking about replacing when World War Two broke out. So they had the Admiralen class destroyers, which were decent enough in their day, but were getting a little bit long in the tooth by the time a World War Two broke out. And again, like like with the 1047s, they had a project for new destroyers. They weren't quite able to make it all work before the Germans invaded. So, for for the lower tier stuff, which is effectively a World War One interwar destroyers, yeah, they'll have plenty of things to go for. But then, once you get to probably something around about tier six, you're going to run into the problem of well, we've got these paper designs of what was planned for the late thirties and early forties, and then that's it because obviously the Netherlands is occupied. There's not even the paper designs that places like mm -hmm. German German Germany came up with during wartime. So they're either going to have to pull kind of like what they've done with some of the pan-European destroyers and pull in stuff that they then got after the war, um, like the Friesland and things like that, or mm -hmm. they're going to have to just go, actually, this destroyer line only goes so far and then folds back into one of the other lines. I, I, I don't think I they've ever done with a destroyer line. No, I, I suspect it probably would be the former option that we would get something at the higher tiers that was, that was post-war. They may end up with a sort of the Pan-American uh, or Pan-Asian line problem as well in that the Dutch Navy after the war, although they did have some of their own designs, mm -hmm. they also did have a fair bit of um, sort of gifted and purchased ships from the other big navies, especially the US Navy. In including uh, their only aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they've got an, an ex-British aircraft carrier. They've got ex-American destroyers. Um I suppose, given that there was the Free Dutch Navy and that there were some Free Dutch ships, including ships that were basically given to them by the British, you could see variants on some of the British line of destroyers to fill up the sort of the, the what, mm -hmm. how, sort of seven, eight 
seven, eight, nine, maybe, or six, seven, eight tiers. Um, because there's, there's always enough variation in those kinds of small ships during World War II that you, you could take, um, lightning or something like that and say, okay, well, we're actually gonna just tweak it a little bit to represent this specific Dutch ship, give it a few slightly different gimmicks and throw it in as a Dutch vessel instead. Um, but yeah, I suppose it, we'll have to see if if dash when they they decide to go go down that line. I mean, they could always just add airstrikes, you know. <laughs> Destroyers calling an airstrike—that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I remember correctly, that actually reminds me. You did a video not all that long ago about the the roles of the more minor navies. I'm sure yes. you mentioned the Dutch during that and the Polish yes. and other. So, you know. If, if if people watching this either on Twitch just now or on YouTube later on, you know, you can always go and watch one of Drax's excellent videos to find out a bit more about just, just what the Free Dutch got up to during World War Two. Yeah, yeah. And I mean they were pretty um they were pretty active to be honest. It's it's one of those interesting things uh that I always find in that when you look at the the if you like the big navies or uh, well, on all sides, but especially the Allied navies, the the British and the American navies, you have a whole range of quality. You've got really active, really determined commanders who'll go out and fight anything and everything, like Philip Vian or uh, obviously Commander Evans of the USS Johnston or Arleigh Burke, who obviously got famous enough to have a massive line of bomb destroyers named after him. Um. But for every one of those, you also have people where you look at and go, why on earth are these people even in a Navy? Um, they're kind of, and gradually, usually either something goes disastrously wrong with stuff that they're commanding or they get shuffled off into the background into second tier commands and hopefully never heard from again. Whereas when you look at the free navies, they always tend to be running around, charging around, doing absolutely lunatic things. Um, You've got the Free Polish Navy, the Free French Navy, the Free Dutch Navy, Free Norwegian Navy, etc. But you you always have to remember that sort of the, when the Germans have invaded these countries, these are the guys who were determined enough to try and escape to fight on, regardless of what any treaty might have said. They were also lucky enough to succeed in doing so, and they were motivated enough that when they got to Britain, uh, for the most part, and occasionally America, they turned around and said, yeah, well, we could, you know, sit out the war as ostensible neutrals or whatever and obey whatever the terms of, of whatever peace agreement the Germans are forced on our government, say, or we could enlist in merchant shipping. We do all sorts of things, but they chose to just turn around and say, no, actually, we're going to fight. So I think the core of those free navies is just a much higher percentage of very driven people. And as a result, you end up with... um with all, all of those free navies, including the Dutch, um, pulling off some fairly spectacular stunts <laughs> that are uh, quite entertaining, uh, up to and including you have things, uh, I know of some of my Dutch subscribers that I've spoken to are very fond of the Flores-class gunboats. Unfortunately, I don't think they're ever going to find a place in um, World of Warships because they're too small, but those things are absolutely lunatic. Tiny little gunboats with fairly outsized artillery um, but they were popping up all over the place in the Mediterranean and the and the uh, northern waters of the Atlantic and the Channel, conducting shore bombardments right in the face of enemy counterfire and air attacks when, you know, there's much larger 
allied light cruisers, heavy cruisers and battleships having a go at the Germans as well. And then there's these tiny little gunboats sailing around. Oh, we're going to have a we're going to have a shot at them as well. Don't forget us. Seems to work as well, because they, they mostly survive. Well, it's, it's weird that, like, you've talked in, in your videos about, you know, small angry ship syndrome. I think that's probably the mm. epitome of it right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say they're, they're highly motivated. They don't have much to lose. And ultimately, you know, they're, they are fighting for, they are fighting to free their own countries. Um, the, the uh, And with the best will in the world, I mean, the British and American troops they might be fighting in the British case for revenge for cities bombed in the Blitz. They be, they'll be fighting to defeat the Germans, but they're not fighting to liberate their own home territories. Whereas these guys are. So there's always going to be that little extra bit of motivation for them. I think, I think my favorite story is of the, uh, the escape of the, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but the, the Abraham Crinson. Yeah, good luck with pronouncing that properly. Yeah. I've, I've tried for years, and I still can never get it completely right. The, the, the minesweeper that basically survived, was it the Battle of the Java Sea? And, uh, yeah, they, they, they did, like, island hopped during the night and during the day, disguised themselves by basically planting a jungle on their deck. Yeah, was like, we are an island. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. Yeah, the, the, and it's still around. Um, it's in, a, in the Dutch Naval Museum at Den Helder. I was lucky ah, enough okay. to go, go on it. At some point, I do actually have to make a video on it because <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of photographs from both on, the, on and inside the ship. Well, unfortunately, they did take all the island camouflage off so you could <laughs> you know, actually see it. Uh, but I do, I do need to do a video uh, using that content at some point. Well, we already have an Atlanta with like a tropical resort oh, yeah. camo on it, yeah. so you could have you could have that. Except it would it wouldn't even look like a ship; it would just be floating mm. large bush. It would be probably like a tier one or tier two, probably like a tier two premium. <laughs> yeah. But it's got the, it's got I don't know it's got concealment of like one kilometer. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, but they could make a special camouflage for some Dutch ship inspired by it. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's highly thematic. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I've been on a bit of a a, a kick with this since um, Wargaming put in the uh, USS Constitution themed camo for the uh, the Colorado and the and the Constellation because mm. I've been wanting Age of Sail themed camos in the in the game for ages, mm. kind of like more his, history themed camos. So yeah. I, I was quite disappointed that we didn't. Like, it would have been really nice if we had. Uh, 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 like camos coming with the, the the Dutch cruisers that mimicked the real life Hudelio or the the you know the, the sailing frigate de, de mm. Provincien because they they had some quite unique. Um, yeah, that would that would have been an interesting yeah. one, I think. I mean, a, you know, an HMS Victory camo. Yeah, nice yeah, that's, that's the example Go, I've, I've gold, gold and black used side. in my video, or a Mary Rose that had a quite distinctive. That'd be quite decorative, yeah. yeah. I mean, the good you, you thing want... about camels is they might just add them later, or they could add, mm. like, mm. a certain anniversary or a special event, or so they could always yeah. just decide to bring that up, I, those camels. I, 
I must admit, actually, when they introduced the British cruisers, I was slightly perplexed by that um, white and gold or white and buff camo they brought in. Because I was looking at that and going, that would suit American ships a lot more because it's almost the Great White Fleet camo yeah, scheme. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, if you're going to introduce a, sort of a, a slightly fun and interesting camo scheme for the British cruisers, just bring in the, uh, the old late Victorian black, white and buff color scheme. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for that color scheme anyway, so I just want it generally. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have all my ships on that camo, to be honest, but yeah. We do sometimes get somewhat odd choices. Like some of the camos look absolutely fantastic, and mm. then other times you get, um, yeah, choices like that where it, it doesn't really fit with, you know, the, the, the history that they're, they're trying to call upon. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, a very good recent example was the uh, the Yukon's uh, alternate camo, where in, instead of um, something themed alongside the uh, again still surviving HMCS hmm. Sackville, yeah, uh, which would have made for a very nice nationally appropriate thematic camo. Uh, instead, it was um, uh, I, I'm not even sure the the origins of the the default camo it has, but of course the alternate camo is just red maple leaves plastered all over the, the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I suppose it's one of those one of those things. Who knows what the art department is going to go getting yeah. up to? But I, I'm on, I'm I mean, on you'd need now to persuade them. You'd mm. probably need more communication between whatever historical department they have that does research on ships, and then the, de the art department because it's. I mean, I have people who do research on ships, right, when they design them, mm. but it's possible that there's just no communication between those guys in the art department, and they just tell the art department, hey, hey, look, we, we've designed a new ship, it looks like this, make it look pretty. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that's where the British cruiser camo came from, because you do have uh, some, of, some of the most common pictures of the interwar period, some of the best quality ones are of the county class. On the in their tropical camo scheme, which is I think where they've taken that white mm. and buff camo from. But to say it's it's okay, but it's 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 not the black, white, and buff one, and it, it's put the sort of the white and gold on the wrong fleet. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I want to see what an Iowa would look like in white and gold. It's it's I mean just from looking. I know we're going away from the topic of mm. Dutch cruisers a little bit, but uh, it, it's I don't know. It's, this us getting off topic is just mm. you know it's what happens. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I know from a little bit of reading on the internet that nailing the exact colours that were used in camos is actually a surprisingly tricky topic. Yes, and sometimes it's not going to even be accurate to what was actually there, even if you follow all the requisite instructions, because a lot of the time when, and, unless it's a what you might call a base colour, mm -hmm. a lot of the colours that were used in the cameras, and to be honest, even some of the greys, they were not issued as, here is a tin of X colour paint. They were issued with a bunch of fairly standard basic colours, and then they were told, okay, well, you are now to paint your ship this, which, and that consists of, I don't know, four parts of this grey to one part white or similar that for mixing the various colours. And so, you know, e even if that's the official instruction, 
if that particular ship has had a few too many cans of white paint delivered and a few too few greys, it's going to end up a slightly lighter grey because they're going to have to balance it out as best they can, Mm -hmm. um, or blues or greens or whatever else they do. And when it comes especially to the kind of the more wavy camo styles, especially if if they're applied at sea, but even if they're applied in in dock, no two are ever going to be the same. So you can get an approximation, um, but you're never going to get it 100% exact to exactly what that particular ship looked like at any given time, unless you happen to have one of the relatively rare bits of colour footage and colour mm-hmm. fo- or colour photography that shows shows it. Um, I mean, it is one of those rather weird things because we have volume after volume after volume of information on what these ships looked like, what they did, what they armaments they had, etc., but you can get to even as late as World War Two, and people will still be having massive arguments as to what what camo scheme was a ship wearing at any given time, and once it was wearing it, what colours was it actually using in that camo scheme? Um, one I've, I, I keep coming across for some reason is um, Rodney uh, Rodney's camo scheme, the kind of uh, mixed green, white, black, or dark grey. And some people maintain there's a blue in there, or and instead of or in addition to the green, um, and exactly what how it was shaped, what the shapes were, which shapes were which colours. Everyone insists they know exactly what the correct answer is, except that everyone consists of about seven different people, and they all disagree. I mean, it's tricky if you don't have, like, accurate photography, like, in color or videos or about mm. it, because also, like, colors, I mean, people, like, sometimes interpret it a bit differently, or what, what do they define as light blue, or what what do they see as gray, darker or lighter gray, and then how the light shines on it, or maybe even, like, the water that reflects on it, or if it was dirty right now or whatever, right? I believe, yeah. like, I mean, like, the weather, while the ship's in service, it might change, like, color over time and so on so everybody probably thinks they are accurate but they they I, even if the ship was standing in front of them they could probably argue about the exact shades right yeah yeah i mean it's i mean going back slightly further it's like even look at hms victory when i went um to have a look at hms victory for the first time almost three decades ago it was this lovely almost buttery gold color with the black stripes um, and there, and I always thought that was a little bit odd because then when you look at the paintings, the paintings of the Battle of Trafalgar and that kind of period, you've still got a fairly vibrant yellow, but it's a little bit more muted than that almost gold color they had painted it then. Um, but and then they went and actually started scraping off the thirty or forty layers of paint it had, got back to the Nelsonian era, and they found that actually the paint that was on on the Nelsonia area, it was yellow, but it was more of a pale ochre colour, which is now what it's painted as to more accurately represent what it looked like. And people are all up in arms because everyone's used to the bright yellow, not this kind of much paler yeah. colour, um, even though it is more historically accurate as far as they can tell. Uh, and then you've got to say that in these paintings, you've you've then got, the, you know, A, it's a painting that's painted there afterwards, so possibly the colour, uh, well, as they know from the various layers the color the exact yellow shade that was used varied over time and then it, you know it's a paint even if we've got a painting or a photograph who knows what effect sun bleaching and pigment degradation has had over 50 60 100 years or so as i was pointing out in the chat there is actually a fair bit of 
overlap with um, tank camouflage schemes mm. as well. I mean, the, the example that's sprung to my mind, and this is kind of ties into what you've just been saying, is sometimes things can get perpetuated that are wrong, but then they come to be the accepted thing. So there was one particular uh, uh, camo pattern, uh, a British desert camo pattern that made it into World of Tanks, and it was copied from uh, a, a, a tank at, at the Tank Museum. Mm. And um, oh, there's a cat on my cable. I wondered why it was suddenly falling mm-hmm. a bit. Um, uh, and yeah, basically the Tank Museum had in like the 60s or 70s, they had applied this camo on the basis of whatever instructions they had, but it, it was wrong. But that became kind of like, oh, well, this is what the camo looked like. And so that's how it ended up being in in World of Tanks. And you, you kind of end up with these, you know, like even people, archivists and whatever else, you know, it only takes one person making a mistake because it's kind of a comparatively specialized field of knowledge that that can then get kind of propagated outwards until it's almost like the Wikipedia effect of enough, yeah. enough people kind of um, kind of reference the wrong thing, then it's like, well, well, Wikipedia says this is right because it's, it's got all these references that say it's, you know, if you know the yeah. references are all wrong. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I imagine there can be elements of that in, uh, in naval cameras as well. I mean, if it yeah. didn't help that they, um, they did change them quite often. On some yeah, bit. yeah, they change them quite often. And the other thing, to be honest, is if even if you're trying to recreate them, a lot of the time these days it's actually quite difficult to recreate the exact pigments because, you, I mean, you, you look at ships in World War Two. Some of it's not necessarily relevant to the paint, but you know, ships were packed to the gunnels with asbestos. Um, the paints, they didn't care if it was lead-based or whatever. It's, as long as it didn't actively kill you if you licked it, they didn't really care. Um, so a lot of the time, if you're, if, you, if you're trying to recreate stuff from that period, whether it be for ships or tanks or aircraft, you might come across, sort of, use these ingredients. You go, no, because health and safety <laughs> rules say you can't do that outside of a lab. Um and and so you're you're going to have to try and get a, a closest approximation there unto, um, or or, some, or else find something that hat still has original paint on it and go chipping away to try and, and then cut, try and color match that, um, and hope that there's enough left on underneath that hasn't faded out. I imagine at least there's less of a problem with unofficial camo schemes, which certainly happened a lot towards the end of of the Second World War. I mean, the Germans in particular, um, you had tanks coming out of the factory that just still had the primer paint on and mm. didn't have the, the overcoat on top of that because they were running horrendously low on, supri- uh, on supplies. And then you'd have kind of like improvised whitewash camo and whatever tins of paint that they had to hand, basically. Mm. So you had all these kind of uh, um, camo schemes that, that weren't, described anywhere they weren't officially prescribed it's just whatever yeah. they had to hand and uh yeah and it, i mean it's if a photo survives of it then that that's possibly the only evidence that there would be kind of thing yeah and you get you get things like that with uh, i mean with all sorts of things unofficial modifications made i mean with tanks you've got the classic vision of you know tanks with bits of tank track strapped mm-hmm. to them to for extra armor but you know, show show me a regulation that says exactly how many links to apply and exactly where. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like the, the tank crews are like, well, it's a slab of metal. It'll probably help. We're going to stick it where we think that's going to help. So if the commander's particularly paranoid, it's going to go wrapped around the turret. Other, or it might go on the front glasses, or he might be confident in his front glasses armor and stick it on the side, or who knows what. And it's it's the same thing with ships a lot of the time. Um, all sorts of weird and wonderful modifications. I mean, I've I found this actually looking even into the Battle of Trafalgar. It's it's the big sea battle prior to Jutland. We have no idea what ninety five percent of the Franco Spanish fleet was painted like uh, because there wasn't a standardized paint scheme at the time. We know what the British fleet was painted like because they had they had actually standardized, okay. but the French and Spanish fleets wouldn't standardize their paint schemes until five to ten years after Tra- Trafalgar. So all we know is Santissima Trinidad was painted red and black. Um, we know that two other Spanish ships were described as having black hulls, but even then that's a question of did they paint their hulls black or did they paint them red and black like Santissima Trinidad, but the red paint fell off because the black paint was the was a more durable underlayer. Um, we don't know any of that. What were the other Spanish ships painted like? There were some captured British ships in the Franco-Spanish fleet, like the Berwick, was that um, was that still in its original British colours, or had they repainted that, or just stuck a flag on it? We don't know. And then you get to the French ships as well, um, and it's all a complete mess. And you sit there thinking, again, it's like it's such a big battle. There's so much known about it, but we don't know what half the ships looked like. Yeah. I guess no, then no one thought to write it down. They're just like, oh yeah, it's the enemy. I yeah, guess it doesn't occur to you in a paddle to like, yeah, like we let's <laughs> let's detail what this guy that's shooting us looks like. Yeah, I mean the only reason we know two of them were black was because somebody was sort of going through and they and literally they were just going, yeah, French ships, who cares? We've seen loads those those before. Oh, the big ship, the center right? Okay, well, write down what that looks like because it's big and impressive. And then the other, like, oh, but those two are black. That's unusual. Write that down. Oh, we don't care about the rest; they're all standard. But now we've forgotten what standard was. Yeah, it's interesting the details that I mean we kind of take it to, for granted now as the wealth of digital photography and whatever. But back when mm. you know the main permanent visual medium was some guy with a canvas and a lot of oil paints. Yeah, yeah, I imagine a lot of more the you know the the the, the paintings of of the more famous naval engagements of that period there must have been a fair bit of artistic license employed with well we don't really know what that ship's exact colors were so it's fine just... yeah and you, you see that a lot with those peer paint paintings of that period by artists of that period they basically sort of rocked up to um you, you can almost tell they've rocked up to a port and gone right where are the british ships right that's what those look like and then they've gone, well, I could go to France or Spain, or I could just ask, where's a French or Spanish ship we've captured to get an mm-hmm. idea of what it looks like? They've gone over to it, and obviously it's been repainted in British gods. Like, oh, okay, everyone paints warships this way. Okay. And then you look at paintings of the Battle of Trafalgar, and absolutely everyone is wearing the Nelson checker pattern, yeah. which is hilariously inaccurate and makes it incredibly difficult to work out what the heck is going on until you start looking for flags. But I mean, even like today with uh, cameras and all this stuff, when when you look at entertainment like Hollywood or so, when they use a tank, they might use the completely wrong tank, right? And yeah. if you'd imagine in 50 years or in 100 years or somebody who like finds out, they might think this is accurate because why wouldn't it, right? They they see a movie and they see like a, something that they call a tiger drive and maybe it's a Sherman or so. You know, and like that misinformation could just, even though with today where we can record everything and film everything, 
it's just that I guess that the not everybody cares about historically accuracy. Yeah, yeah, or even contemporary accuracy. I mean, the number of times you read newspaper articles where ev- everything with tracks is a tank and everything that floats is a battleship, <laughs> unless mm. it's an aircraft carrier. Um, it's yeah. There's it, it only really helps when someone is actually paying attention enough to 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 note these things down. And even to be honest, even with digital stuff, it's um, you know, although everybody seems to paint all their warships grey these days, <laughs> um, there's still varying shades of grey. But you can even even then, it's subject to a lot of either post post photograph manipulation or what the light conditions were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking of like you look at pictures of the Type 45s, and depending on which uh, the, the latest Royal Navy destroyers, depending which uh, light they've been taken in, you might think they're dark grey, medium grey, light grey, or brilliant white, because the, you can find photos that show all of those and everything in between, just depending on how, on how they've been taken. And as as um, Artem was saying, is it Artem or Aten? Aten. Aten. Sorry. There you go. Sorry. Um, as Ethan was saying, it's like 100, 200 years down the line when maybe not all of those photos have survived and maybe only one person's personal photograph set from you know, one particular day is all that's really, really publicly available. But it just so happens to have been taken on a really bright summer's day. Then all of a sudden everyone going, ah, yes, well, clearly in 2021, the Royal Navy was using a near white camouflage scheme. <laughs> Uh, even though it's it's actually not. Well, we definitely we definitely wandered away from Dutch cruisers, but it was still yes. a very interesting topic to talk. About. <laughs> oh yeah, mm. and much more pleasant than getting airstruck. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, the the, the cruisers themselves, I mm-hmm. mean, they're okay. Once you once you get from tier six upwards, though, I think what you were saying earlier, so they they do feel a bit. Lackluster compared to other light cruisers and uh, uh, super cruisers, just because like they are tuned around having that uh, that airstrike, which isn't always useful. So yeah, and I yeah. think when you get up to the the tier ten, as you were saying earlier, so would there be an opportunity for it because it was a battle cruiser ostensibly to move it? Why? Because you've got Scharnhorst; it's using basically Scharnhorst guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got roughly Scharnhorst speed, so you might ask, well, why isn't it at Tier 7 with the Scharnhorst? Um, and it's basically down to that the 1047s have far less armor than the Scharnhorst. So while the Scharnhorst can sit as kind of a lower-tier battleship because it's got the protection and the speed, and it's just the guns that move it down tier, um, the Dutch Tier 10, you know, it's got the guns, it's got the speed, but it's it's got supercruiser-level armor. Mm. And given that we've already got the Alaska and various other supercruisers in game, it makes more. And as we said, the Dutch didn't really have that many design, big designs um, before they got invaded. It makes more sense to stick it up there as the as the top tier, uh, as, a, as a, basically a supercruiser capping a cruiser line rather than anything else. Okay, it does make me wonder if you might see some like if if there are ever probably heavily paper-based or even semi-speculative uh, uh, Dutch battleships, we might see some other variation, more thickly armoured, of Project mm. 47. They did occasionally look at battleships. 
I think if they do put them in, it's probably going to be as one-off premiums. I, mm. I can't see any. I can't see any realistic scenario where you're going to have enough Dutch, even paper battleship designs, to fill out a full tree. Um, but yes, as as one-off premiums, I can certainly see that happening. Okay. So uh, our other main topic, which mm-hmm. we should probably get onto, uh, <laughs> is. German battle cruisers, which I think you might know a thing or two about. Yes, yes, that's a, that's the the main one I've been praying for. I must say, actually, yeah. I was I was very excited when I saw the the new line being discussed. Um, I was actually aw- I was actually away on my research trip um, last week in in Jersey, <laughs> so um, that that was a should we say a, a, a I, I was happy when I saw that. Um, the, and the, the other thing is, like, a, a good chunk of it is historically based, which makes it much easier for me to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and usefully, everything follows a fairly logical progression line. So you've got the Tier 3 Von der Tan, Tier 4 Molka, um Tier 5, Der Flinger, Tier 6, Mackensen. So they're all fairly known. Now, Tier 7, they're calling it Prince Heinrich. It's effectively an Ersatz York. Mm-hmm. So you get up to Tier 7 and everything's all hunky-dory. The one thing I do notice as a fairly major omission, which therefore makes me think is almost certainly going to be either a... probably a Tier 4, maybe a Tier 5 premium, is Seedlitz. Okay. Uh, because Seidlitz is kind of a, a, a one-off um, real German battle, and it has a fairly big story behind it, because the flipping thing wouldn't die, <laughs> no matter how many oh, times you shot the, it. Oh, that's the famous photo where it's like the aft is practically awash, but it's still somehow... Yeah, yeah, and there's photos of it in harbour, because it's like technically Seidlitz did actually sink. It just happened to sink in about six foot of water, so it didn't matter too much. But it was a complete floating wreck. And, yeah, I'm look, I, when it was coming out, I was like, okay, where's Seglitz? Oh, it's not there. It, it, they've got to do it as a premium. I, 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 would, I would be very annoyed with them if yeah. they didn't. They, they I mean, do a... tend to. Not always, but the unique one-off ships are more mm. likely to appear as premiums unless there is a hole in a tech tree that they need to to plug. Occasionally you'll get one-off ships going in, like um, uh, Tallinn on the mm-hmm. uh, uh, Soviet cruiser line, which mm. was kind of a what-if they had completed the Admiral Hipper class that they bought. Yeah. I mean, the, the advantage of making it as a premium is that they don't have to stick like to, to the regular concept in a sense because they want to be somewhat consistent over the tiers. And if this ship has a special history and maybe they want to give it a super heal to like in-game show that it just didn't sink or that you couldn't sink it, then you couldn't just stick it into the tech tree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it would actually do very well as a, as a premium. It's a nice little bit of history. It's it's not that different from a Maltka to sort of. It, it, I'm, I'm, I will admit it would be relatively difficult to to go. Okay, we're going to go Vondertan, Maltka, putting a Sadlitz at tier five. Yeah, it, 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 that would be a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I'd always assumed if we were going to have action court, that would be a tier four, but they managed to squeeze that into to tier five. So you, know, you never quite know with wargaming. It's always best not yeah. to assume. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the thing is that um, the tier five spot for German battle cruisers was always going to be hotly contested because the Der Flinger also has a fairly good reputation. Lutz, out of course, was also lost at Jutland. So they would have they they had they kind of had to have that in as well, um, and whilst you can you can look at um, von der Tan, and from von der Tan to Molka or Sedlitz is a fairly clear tech progression. Mm-hmm. There's only the slight tech progression from Molka to Sedlitz, whereas there is again another big jump from either Molka or Sedlitz to Deflinger. So tier wise, I think it makes more sense to to go the way that they have. Um, so you, yeah, you've you've got say the the Mackinsons. They were in the process of building the Erzats Yorks. They didn't start building any of them, but we do know exactly what they would have been laid out mm-hmm. like. And indeed, we've already got Prince Eitel Friedrich in in the game as well. Yeah. Um, that, and that, yeah, and then then you kind of go completely um, completely off of the deep end at that point. Um, with uh with the I think it's Zeton, Zeiton. Um the Prince Ruprecht and the Schlieffen. Um because I, I think to a certain degree in some ways they have kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit with previous releases because one of the things I was looking for was the O class battle cruiser. And then um someone kindly reminded me that the O class battle cruiser is already in the game. <laughs> as a premium mm-hmm. um whereas it would have sat quite nicely um just above prince heinrich at uh, tier 8 where you've, we've now got the zeton so um yeah the the the, the, the last three are interesting it, it's definitely say. uh imperial german navy line rather than uh kind of like the the the, the regular battleship line you know up to the bayern it's all mm. World War One vintage, and then after that, it's it's all Kriegsmarine. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the thing is, things is you've got because um, the German call them Grosserkreuzer, but you've got a lot of Grosserkreuzer designs that they were spitting out at the end of World War One, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> it's a cat yeah. distracting me at the moment. Sorry, um, yeah, you, there's. There's so many of those Grosser Kreuzer designs that um, you, you could pick quite a number of them. Um, you, uh, there's and then you you get start to get into things like L twenty E Alphos. Like is it's that is a battleship, but it's it's a battleship, but also not if you, if you take my meaning because that it was the it was a German attempt. It was well. It was the last but one um, design that was supposed to be separate, and the Kaiser did want to kind of fuse the battle cruiser and battleship concepts into a fast battleship. Mm-hmm. Um, they dissuaded him from doing it with the L twenty E Alpha, but it was supposed to be the last of the separate design lineages, along with its com- com- companion Grosser Kreuzer. The next one was supposed to be what we would now call a fast battleship. It was a bit ahead of his time in some ways, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, this is the weird thing, a lot of people were trying to pull off this kind of fast battleship design in World War II, in World War I, um, but none of them really came about with the exception of Hood, and Hood is obviously mostly a post-World War I ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of the, uh, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but mm. the, the kind of differing philosophies of the... British and German battle cruisers were that the, the British had same caliber guns as the battleships, but were but fewer of them and less armor. And that's how they achieved their speed. Whereas with the Germans, it was more about um, having smaller caliber guns. Yeah, I mean the the Germans start off the dreadnought race with smaller caliber guns anyway. Um, so the Nassau's have eleven inch guns, mm-hmm. which explains why von der Tann has eleven inch guns, but. Even then, the Germans go 11-inch guns, 12-inch guns, whereas the British are going from 12-inch to 13.5-inch to 15-inch, and the British are bringing in 15-inch battleships around the time the Germans are only really just about getting to the point of uh, uh, of getting their, their march on with 12-inch. Um, and then you've got the, the Bayerns, which kind of jump straight from 12 to 15. So... For the time when they're building the battle cruisers, the German battle cruisers are armed with what you would consider to be well, what they consider to be battleship caliber weaponry, whether it be eleven or, or twelve inch guns. But a, a lot of the design philosophy changes come about part in large part because of the timing, because the the British obviously originate the battle cruiser with the Invincibles and the Indefatigables, but the key thing is that the battle cruiser term only comes about later. They're originally called Dreadnought Armoured Cruisers. And so they're supposed to be, well, and this is why you get Blucher, because you have Dreadnought, um, which is the Dreadnought battleship, and everyone's looking at that and going, okay, well, what's now a pre-Dreadnought battleship? Dreadnought is same calibre of weapons, just more of them and no no anti-capital ship secondary battery. So when Admiral Fisher announces a plan for a dreadnought armoured cruiser, bearing in mind that at this point armoured cruisers are quite often using a couple or two to four heavy guns and then a number of lighter guns. So the Minotaurs, for example, the latest British armoured cruiser at the time, they're using 9.2-inch guns at either end and then 7.5-inch down the sides. The Germans logically go, okay, well, if he's talking about a dreadnought armoured cruiser, then taking that design principle from the dreadnought battleship, which hasn't increased calibre, it's just more of them, he must be talking about building an armoured cruiser with an all 9.2-inch gun main armament. And so they build Blucher, which has uh, an all 8, I think it's 8.2 or 8.3-inch main armament, basically using the standard German armoured cruiser heavy heavy gun. Except that it turns out Fisher has been deceiving everyone, and when he says Dreadnought Armoured Cruiser, he means an armoured cruiser armed with Dreadnought guns. So the Invincibles, they have armoured cruiser-level protection, but battleship-grade firepower, but their role is not to sit in the battle line. Their role is to go tearing around the world as fast, heavily-armed armoured cruisers, destroying everybody else's cruisers that would be threatening British commerce. And for the first part of World War One, that's actually mostly what they're doing. The problem is that works fine and good as long as you're the only one who owns that kind of ship. Oh. And the Germans are now looking at the British having designed this ship, and they're going, oh, okay, right. So we're going to need 
a ship that's about as quick. We're going to need a ship that's also carrying battleship-level guns. But we don't have quite as many... Um, as quite as many dreadnought battleships as we'd like. And also, you know, it's possible that even if we use it in the similar role to the British, although perhaps in more of a raiding role, it's going to run into one of these British ships, which has big guns. So we now we are going to have to put armor to resist the British guns. And so between that and the, the idea of maybe using them as a secondary battle line unit, the way the armored cruisers had been used in the pre-Dreadnought era, you end up with the Germans coming out with Von der Tan and then all the other ships, which have this much heavier armor design. They're still not as heavily armored as battleships uh, or battleships the Germans are building. And even though the... And this is one of the other things I need to point out to people quite often. Although the notional armor thickness on German battle cruisers is similar to some British battleships, they are not as heavily protected as British battleships because the height of the armor is much less. So if you compare, say, an Iron Duke-class battleship to a Deflinger-class battlecruiser, the the maximum thickness of the armor plate might seem similar, but the Iron Duke has a much greater surface area covered by that plate and then lesser pl- thickness plates elsewhere, whereas the Deflinger, the, the actual armored belt is quite sh- short, quite shallow, and more of it is protected by thinner armor. Um, but I mean, it is still better protected than the British ships, but you end up with this sort of slightly weird counterbalance thing going on because the, the Germans bring out von der Tann and Moltke and Goeben. The British then start to respond. So you get the Lion class with 13.5 inch guns and you get that sort of building race. You get Lion, Princess Royal, um, Queen Mary and Tiger. And the Germans then go on obviously building Seidlitz, Deflinger and Lutzau and then eventually Hindenburg. And you end up with this slightly odd situation in that the Germans are more heavily protected with lighter guns. The British are less well protected with heavier guns. But because of that dichotomy, you end up with a situation of, although the British armour is lighter, because the German guns are also lighter, the British armour is actually just about enough to deal with most of the German shells, except for maybe the um, Deflinger and Lutzel's 12-inch at pretty much any range, as long as you're... Well, any reasonable battle range, as, as long as you're talking about the Lions. The Invincibles and the Invincibles are armoured like armoured cruisers, and it shows, <laughs> frankly. Um, but um, when you're talking about when both sides are now building battle cruisers to face off against each other, you have this situation. And then, obviously, although the German ships are much more heavily protected, because they're being hit by much bigger shells, when those shells actually work they are still capable of dealing with with the heavier protection uh, that's in place. And what you end up with is, in some ways, very similar to the the crossover between British and American carrier designs in the latter part of World War II, where the Americans go, oh, yes, we now want armoured flight decks like the British, and the British going, oh, yes, but we want open hangars like the Americans. After Jutland, you have a similar kind of thing in that, Hood is under construction. Hood and Banana and Pulsar, for that matter, they're they're designed with much thinner armor. And after Jutland, the British going, we need more armor on our battle cruisers, which is sort of more following the German pattern. Sheer comes back from Jutland and goes, we need bigger guns on our battle cruisers, <laughs> which is following the British pattern. Um, and then that's why when you look at um, Mackensen and Erzatz York, their armor protection isn't that much scaled up from the Deerflingers, if at all. But the guns are, 
And in fact, Jutland is one of the main reasons that you get the Ersatz Yorks, because originally it was supposed to be lots of Mackensons. And um, the Mackensons that are mostly completed, or a good chunk of the way towards completion, they continue as Mackensons. And the ones they haven't they haven't started yet or haven't got up to the point where they're building the barbettes, they get reordered as Ersatz Yorks, which are effectively, minus a few details, Mackensons that have been swapped out for 15-inch guns. Okay. I mean, it, I guess it's a pretty human reaction, right? You, you go into a, a battle or so and you see the enemy has bigger guns and you don't necessarily ask yourself, well, maybe we have bigger armor, maybe there needed to be a design compromise. You're like, just why why can't we have that? So you go back and I want that too. It's it's almost, that's the entire history of, of naval warfare, uh, naval warfare. <laughs> Warfare, in a nutshell, is just, you know, what compromises do you need to make to, you know, get get something that actually works in a real-world scenario? Yeah, and when it comes to bat- battleships and battlecruisers, you're just looking, effectively, the solution everyone's actually looking for is the fast battleship. Uh-huh. It's just the solution no one wants to pay for because they're huge <laughs> and expensive, especially in World War One. And a lot of a lot of the um, the fleets at that point were still coal fired as well, I believe. Yeah, which would have made. I imagine making a fast coal fired battleship would have been a complicated endeavour. Yeah, I mean you've got coal you've got coal firing. Um, the British obviously introducing oil burning, um, and a lot of ships have oil spraying, so they'll mm-hmm. carry supplementary oil to spray onto the coal to help boost the energy output. But and one again, of the I point out you've done a video. Oh, you've done a video yeah. on this. <laughs> yes, um, but one of the things that is coming in during the First World War period, which actually makes a huge difference, is small tube boilers. Um, and I, I've discussed that as well. Um, but the, yeah, you've got large tube boilers going in and then small tube boilers, which offer much greater power density. And it's the small tube boilers that allow you to get a ship like Hood. And even then, Hood is absolutely massive because it needs the all the power for the speed. Mm-hmm. But you, you simply could not make a ship like Hood in 1914 because the, the technology just wasn't there. There were some designs, which some people called a proto-Hood or a super tiger, which have a similar level of protection, similar level of armament, but they're about three to four knots slower. Um, and you, you, you can kind of see that in uh, discussions that Admiral Jellicoe is having in the early 1920s because he's actually, at the outset of World War One or just before it, he's pressing to have the Queen Elizabeth class adopt small tube boilers instead of large tube boilers. And he reckons that with the small tube boilers, so no other changes, just changing the boiler type, that could push the Queen Elizabeth up to 28 knots, which would, again, that would give you a fast battleship Mm-hmm. 20 years before we had a fast I mean, that, battleship. That's, that's comparable to the King George V's. Yeah, and it would actually make them faster than practically any of the battle cruisers as well, which would be absolutely terrifying. Um, but the shipyards themselves convince him that actually they can't do it and it, it, it's not worth it, etc., etc. So he goes with the standard boilers and you end up with just under 25 knots. And in the 1920s, he's very bitter about this, complaining a lot of the director of naval construction is backing him up, but there's not a lot they can do about it at that point. Um, but but that's 
the advent of small tube boilers is what allows you to start seeing full-on capital ships breaking that 30-knot barrier. Okay. So how... I mean, I, I don't know how much specific knowledge you would have, but how how historical are the uh, tiers? What was it? Tiers 8, 9, and 10? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the 8, 9, and 10. Um. To be honest, I haven't seen. Um, I mean, there's there's always designs out there, so you, you never know. But um, I have never seen anything that looks like uh, Zaiden or Zaiden. You'd, or you'd remember, <laughs> yeah. Um, the the sort of the two turrets aft, one turret forward thing that almost reminds me of the uh, Königsberg yeah cruisers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if it was a if it's a paper design from the 1920s, that could make a certain amount of sense. It certainly would It would fit into that kind of that era's design aesthetic for the Germans. Where on earth this kind of almost modern type 45 <laughs> pyramidal superstructures come from, I don't know. Um, the only paper designs I can recall from that period where I've seen that kind of superstructure is, that, is some of the slightly more out there Japanese uh, concept designs for the late 20s and early 30s. And it, it does sit, you can actually even see in terms of the design, it does sit as a kind of an ugly duckling in the whole thing. Because you look at Prince Heinrich, and then you look at uh, Prince Ruprecht, and you can kind of see a des- uh, design lineage between the two. In fact, in a lot of ways, Prince Ruprecht just looks like a, someone's taken a Prince Heinrich and run it through the photocopier at 120% <laughs> scale. Um and then he's sitting in the middle, in between them, is this absolutely bizarre little vessel. Um, I don't a, a know lot what... of people have, have pointed out it. It, it, it's, it does look remarkably similar to the, the superstructure of the Deutschland class, the, the Panzerschiefer. Uh, so yeah, some of the later Deutschland types, which, yeah, again, it's of that period. So I, I'm, I'm putting a certain amount of... I, I, I'd be prepared to say it's probably a, a late 20s early 30s design study mm-hmm. um possibly i mean i know it's not going to be it's not going to be based on the because there were some coastal defense ship designs for the as alternatives to what would be eventually become the deutschlands um but i don't think it's going to be those because it's far too large um sorry i'm just going to have to briefly go off camera because my screen is threat is saying it's going to shut down um, no problem. so talk amongst yourselves while i reach over there and um try and uh all right turn it back on again i i have technical I, problems too but it's sam uh, you have camp problems that's perfect if, if you try and knock my microphone over yeah i mean i i wanted Titan, i think but you know it's uh it's just it's just so weird looking, and I don't know what I fit it in there just in the middle. I mean, it would make more sense to have something weirdly looking at least at tier ten when they say like, okay, now we just go a bit more futuristic or something. But at tier eight, just out of nowhere. Also, what I'm not so uh, fond of is like the the. Well, we'll see how the angles work, but since they are supposedly more aggressive ships, you'd want more turrets in the front and not at the back. Yeah. It is definitely like it probably 
it's the kind of thing that strikes me is it, it probably does exist somewhere as a really obscure design, but maybe that was all they could find to fill that gap with something with 15-inch guns that wasn't just completely made up mm. by themselves. I mean, yeah, let's I mean, be honest, it looks made up. Said to have <laughs> six, is it all 20-millimeter guns, something like that? I think it's bigger than 16-inch, if I remember correctly. Let's see the stats. I can't remember. It does actually have the, we do actually have the stats now, don't we? Okay, I do. glance over them, but I didn't, uh... So tier, tier 8, the, the Zeton has, uh, 406 millimeters. Okay, 16, 16 inch guns. Hmm. So what, what I said, but insert 16 inch guns instead of 15 inch guns, I guess. I mean, now that you mentioned that we have stats, what concerns me a little bit is that, I mean, it says plating 27mm with tier 8 and above. I mean, I'm not sure what exactly plating means. I presume they mean like the, the like nose and stuff. Yeah, maybe the upper armor and, and the, the deck. It's it's really hard to know un, until we get a look at them in port and are able to see the, uh, the armor model, but it does suggest that they will be able to be overmatched. 27 is pretty concerning. If you're a tier 10 battle, like if you're a tier 10 battleship that's supposed to go in and brawl, and everybody you meet overmatches your nose, maybe except for an Italian, how are you going to supposed to survive with 70,000 hit points and 27 like your nose? That's uh, what I'm a bit concerned about. And their uh, great concealment doesn't seem to be so great. Yeah, well, it's, it's, we can't really talk too much about them, but the Soviet CV is one of their, you know, listed features has been, they have really good concealment, but actually <laughs> it's kind of average at best. It's not bad, but it's hard to say it's really great. But yeah, we'll, we'll kind of we'll have to wait and see. Stats tell us some things. Obviously, what's there on the screen is going to be subject to changes that goes through testing. So yeah. these are these are far from final. But so far, the stats make me at least frown because I have once again a feeling that Wargaming doesn't quite understand how brawling works. So they are trying to design a brawling ship, but they have actually no clue what it like is needed to to. Well, we, were, we were speculating last time about maybe they might have a super heal, for instance, and it, it and you then pointed out, or possibly it was a rune, that um, they might just have a, a really short cooldown on a regular heal and, and damage control. And I think we've actually seen one of the announced things is they are going to have a, a short cooldown have... in their damage control. Yeah, they're going to have like Russian damage control, basically limited yeah. charges, fast reload, slow, uh, low duration. Doesn't mention anything about repair, but they're also gonna have hydro. So they're yeah. following the journey. And they get, they have the, the slow torpedoes, so. I don't think we know what dispersion their secondaries will have. I mean, if it, if, if it's along, along the lines of the, uh, the, the Massachusetts, the American enhanced, uh, accuracy 127 mil guns that are on a couple of ships now. You know that that actually could like if you have, if you have bows and they're reasonably fast firing that could actually make for a a relatively fun experience but it's getting getting blapped through the nose or regardless of your angle by high caliber guns might put a bit of a damper on whatever fun you're planning to have. Yeah, I mean so, you need to you know, survive while your secondaries fire. They they won't yeah. fire while you sing. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, um, I mean, one of the interesting things uh, to me is that um, I just remembered there's a collection of very interesting drawings from the latter part of the uh, German design efforts in back in at the end of World War One. Um, and that's it uh, on a fairly on a good website called the Dreadnought Project. I'm just looking through some of the their designs because I have a feeling, yes, that might very well be it. I do wonder how how much of a cue. I mean, you you mentioned Sailitz. I wonder how much of a cue mm. they took from Sailitz taking that absolute battering and surviving, and thought to themselves, what if we made a whole line that was basically. Mm. You know, thematically that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, looking looking at Zeton, I'm still at a loss to explain the superstructure. <laughs> um, but uh, there is Grosser Kreuzer four five three one, which was a, a design from the latter part of the. Uh, it's actually designed in February 1918, by the looks of it, hmm, okay. which, apart from the superstructure, look, does look suspiciously like it. So it's got the two aft guns, 420mm, uh, single twin forward turret, twin long funnels, which is pretty much what we can see in that. It's just got this, yeah, this weird Grash Bay-style pyramid stuck on it for some reason. It could be. I mean, we have... Examples like the Bayern, mm. where it, you know, actually existed, but where you then mm. have a completely ahistoric kind of AA suite. Refit, on, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it might well be that they've taken this design and gone, what if it was refitted, you know, in yes. some hypothetical mm -hmm. timeline. Yeah, the and then you, you've, also got, you've also got the, um, the secondary battery. It's got a very the, – the, the last three, they have this very distinct, distinctive secondary battery, especially on Zeton, where it's, it's just – between the forward turret and the superstructure, and then there's a few more um, at the aftmost turret, and you mm -hmm. see it as well again on Schlieffen as well, um, and that shows up in the in the GK four five three one. In fact, um, obviously the viewers won't necessarily be able to see it. Um, is there a channel in Discord where I can see? Yeah, yeah, you might be able to if you shoot it in the link to a time of PM. He'll be able to put it on. Sorry, I mean, yes. uh, Discord is a problem because we are using like the cameras from Discord, Over so there. they'd see if I switch somewhere. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, well, if you switch to like a, a chat channel or something. Yeah, sure. Okay. Screen. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll stick it in Warship so at least that uh, I can see it. Um, so, yeah, that's Grosser Cruiser 4531 which it, it does look very suspiciously like Zeton. Um, so do we have the stats for Ruprecht, which... Uh, which um... It's a bit roundabout, but I'm putting... It, <laughs> if There we go. Permit in the chat. There we go. So now everyone can... Oh, no. <laughs> We're very professional. We are very professional. De def definitely. <laughs> definitely. So you, you mentioned we've That's... got the stats for um yeah, yes. So what 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 are, what are we looking at for the stats for Ruprecht? Because I'm just looking at this very handy little crib sheet of these Imperial German designs, which might give us some clues. So uh, Prinz Ruprecht has uh, 406 millimeter guns. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, its secondaries are 105s and 150s. Uh, maximum speed 32 knots. Are there specific stats you're looking for? Um, the mainly the main battery. The main battery is four times two four hundred and six millimeters. Four hundred six. Okay. Yeah, satellite doesn't give any kind of gun designations or anything like that. No, that's interesting because all the I don't know what that necessarily what that is going to be then because the. Uh, the ones I'm looking at here, they've got four, 380s and 420s and 350s. Nothing but that's your 10 like. has 420s to schlieffen. Yeah, and so that's got eight, eight, uh, eight of them, isn't it? Uh, yes. See what you mean about that, that Project 4531. Mm. It, 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 it is exactly the right kind of layout. Yeah. Um, so let's have a quick schlieffen. So Schlieffen is 420s, two funnels. It's got that staggered pair of aft turrets, which is very similar to um, to, to German late-war German design for their, their ships. Um, do we know what speed it's supposed to be able to hit? You said 30-something knots? Uh, Prinz Ruprecht has 32 knots, yes. Mm-hmm. And Schlieffen? And Schlieffen has 34.1. Okay, so that might be three double No, that's, that's, uh, that's even worse. Because um, the Germans did have some very odd cruiser designs just with um, four guns in two twin turrets as well. Um, that's almost getting into like the only other ships I can think of that would have that kind of design that weren't pre-dreadnought battleships would be um, kind of the the coastal defence ships that the various Nordic navies had. Mm. And, well, I think the Dutch had one or two coastal defence ships as well, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Not not particularly heavily armed. The Scandinavians were the ones who really went yeah. big time in for the coastal defence types. Um. 30 knots. I have, a, I have a vague yearning to see some of them in-game someday, but I think most of them would be far too slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they make good specialist ships, but... Yeah. Although, th th with that said, you know, they've put in a bunch of... Um, a bunch of, relatively speaking, specialist ships relatively recently uh you know you've had the the super was it the sats was it the satsuma and the hanover yeah yeah so for for special game purposes i guess it's not necessarily entirely out of the question yeah and we've, we've had real life ships used as the basis for things in like halloween modes as well i mean normally they just take existing models and modify them a bit but you mm. know, we had we had the great eastern in one of them Serving as the the thing you're supposed to protect, which was yeah, was, it was nice to see the Great Eastern in game in some <laughs> some form. You know, like uh, thinking about speed. So, where well, I like the real existing ones, like the lower tiers, pretty fast. I'm just looking at Fontatan does twenty seven point five knots. That's pretty fast for your free battleship. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's see, that, that's a rather interesting element to things, which <laughs> I, I, it sometimes gets me in trouble with people when I point it out because I don't necessarily like uh, like to hear it. But um, German battle cruiser speeds, the paper ones, are shall we say um, somewhat ambitious compared to what, <laughs> how they actually performed in. Yeah. In, in in actual history. And that's largely because you're looking at what they call the, the, the very measured performances. They were very specific. They had a very specific um, area to do test runs in. And they also did these test runs relatively lightly loaded and with minimum, minimal coal um, aboard. And mm. the and also the coal that they were using was very high quality. It was usually imported, uh, usually imported anthracite coal. So yeah, you could get a, uh, an early German battle cruiser up to some quite silly speeds, uh, in, in testing. And therefore that would become the trial speed. And therefore that's kind of the speed that you'll end up seeing put into game. But in practice, that wasn't what you would end up with yeah, in you, the slightest. You, you never really have those kind of constraints in the video games. There's lots of no. examples of yeah. reflections of bad quality fuel and things like that. Where you've got like rates of fire in incredibly cramped turrets that just would not be physically possible and that sort of mm. thing. So, yeah, yeah. I, th I think I think I've also found that what I'm not social with Ruprecht because Ruprecht appears to have a single big funnel. Um, but the design, the, particularly the layout of the secondaries, suggests it's based off of one of the higher single-digit Grosser Kreuzer um, designs, maybe Grosser Kreuzer 9 or 12 or something like that, whereas um, Schlieffen here appears to be potentially based off of uh, Grosser Kampfship 5041. So yeah, this is basic, and that especially that kind of stepped up four uh, deck or forecastle with the the twin um, casement batteries there is a pretty big giveaway that it's based off of the the five thousand series of Grosser Kampfship designs. So I think, <laughs> even though we've kind of done a little bit of sleuthing li live on air, I think we've identified where where these top three are coming from. Which interestingly enough means that the entire line is Imperial German. Okay, so I was there, kind of there isn't, right yeah. in my supposition earlier. Yeah, there certainly. isn't there isn't a design in here that post dates nineteen twenty. Although obviously that I'm sure they've given it they've given them some, you know, like they've done with the the Bayern, some updates so it can have AA so it doesn't get horribly murdered. Um but yeah, it is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping that Zeton is like at the bee hole or something because it's. Just... <laughs> we'll see. We'll it, see. It, it's going to get. If, it feels like the Izumo of that line, like just feels weirdly out of place. Yeah, and as I say, you can, you can see kind of a design lineage. It's just that one is just completely off piste. Yeah. Um, if you if you if you if you just deleted it, you'd see like seven till so the seven to nine clear design lineage makes sense, and there. But uh, I don't know. It, 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 just, it, can be, 
It could be an interesting topic for a, a video on your channel at some point, just delving deeper into the uh, the origins of these ones that they've chosen. Mm, yeah, it's it is going to be interesting. I mean, a lot of it, to be honest, just finding out what, why the 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 design the design ideas behind these these late later war German designs. There's a reasonable amount that's been written about them um, in general, kind of why they were looking. At Excuse me, why they were looking at these various um, various de uh, designs and what they were thinking about building, but none of them appear to have advanced to a particularly detailed the design stage. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, there's just so many of them as well. They they're kind of iterating and iterating and iterating and iterating, but but nothing ever really happens as a result. So. It'll be interesting to try and find, um, a, try and see if I can find some detailed information on the specific designs rather mm -hmm. than just kind of well, overall they were looking at this. Because, I mean, the, the Grosser Kreuzer, you've got um, 6, 6A, 7, 8, 8A, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and of which they appear to pick one of the higher ones for um, the Tier 9. And then you've got the Camp, Grosser Kampfschiff. There's... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, or fifteen separate designs there, um, and they picked two of them: one for the set, uh, one for the eight, and one for the ten. So yeah, th th there's a there's a lot of thinking that's gone into this design series in Imperial Germany, but a lot of, a lot of them are variations on a theme. Mm -hmm. I just want a special camel for the Zeton where there is a massive paperback covering the tower. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, yeah, we, we, I say we're getting over time for a little, for a little, um, a little bit, but um, mm -hmm. we might want to. Uh, and there's another couple of ships that have been announced, but the one mm -hmm. that I think maybe we might want to finish off discussing is the incomparable mm -hmm. oh yes oh yeah yeah because, yeah uh, big guns not a lot of armor zoom zoom jackie fisher yes it's ja jackie fish jackie fisher's ultimate battle cruiser um yeah it, it, it's a fun ship i am looking forward to seeing this thing in game because it's it's going to be hilarious to see how they balance it because you, you've got absolutely massive guns. You've only got six of them, though, which is going to be interesting in terms of trying to balance the accuracy and dispersion versus the relatively low number of shells. Uh, as you say, it's got relatively thin armor. The weird thing is it's got 11 inches of armor, which is not it, its not bad for a ship five years earlier than it was designed. Um, but for a ship that's... And to be honest, actually, even for the 19... 20s, the, the, the very beginning of the 1920s, when it was notionally put together on paper, 11 inches of armor isn't entirely outside of the realms of reality for battleship armor. The, the Nagatos are not actually that much better protected, and they're literally in the process of building at the time. It's just that, you know, you're combining 11 inches of armor with 20 inch guns. So you have no protection against your own firepower. Mm -hmm. um, you'd have protection against. I'd say protection at long range against most battleships that existed, not necessarily the ones that were building at the time. Protection at medium range against some of the older ones, 
sort of maybe 12 inch and some of the early 14 inch ships but at closer ranges and against anything that's much newer than that say ships with 15 inch guns and above you don't really have any effective protection but what you do have is speed um and it's yeah. got more guns than that was it courageous class i can't remember but the, the yeah. ones they took the the the, the carriers, carriers. The yeah pair in single turrets of 18 inch guns which oh yeah the, well you've got the, yeah furious had two single eight was designed with two single 18s and courageous and glorious were designed with a pair of twin 15s but fortunately compared to them although incomparable is even faster it does actually because it has you know it actually has armor <laughs> it's it's a somewhat its whole form is somewhat stronger <laughs> which isn't that difficult because then courageous nearly twisted herself in half in a heavy sea um but yeah I, i'm really looking forward to it. i didn't i honestly never thought i'd see incomparable in the game but when they said it's coming in i was like yeah i'm i'm all over this even if i have to play loads of clan wars to get the steel obviously we don't know exactly what they're gonna how you're gonna be able to acquire it but i want that i want this ship I want uh, it so badly. At the very least, as a CC, you'll get to to test it, test even it. if you then have to go and later yeah. grind out steel. For uh, it then, then that's that's cruel because then I then I can look at it <laughs> afterwards and go. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I could. It's like Plymouth. I really liked testing the Plymouth, and now now I don't have the steel to get it. So, oh well. We but we yeah, actually it, it, have stats for incomparable. Hmm. So it's, yeah, it's. That's only 25 millimeter of plating, whatever plating is going to be. Yes. So that's going to be squishy. Yeah, I mean, it's even not free... going to like the HE spam. I mean, even free is go to 25, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically a ship that at tier 10 should be proof against most of the regular cruiser line. So it's going to sit in a rather weird and awkward position. I mean, obviously, when you've got super cruisers they're still going to be able to to hurt it quite badly um but your regular eight inch and six inch cruisers theoretically shouldn't be able to hurt it that easily if it unless it's getting in really close but it is going to be absolute citadel bait for anything that's got a bigger gun so and, and it, like tier eight, nine, ten battleships, they're all going to be able to citadel it no problem i, I do kind of wonder how much it's going to feel like uh kind of fast less awkwardly turreted nelson just in terms of yeah well, citadels from all over the place um what is it is it the shikishima the super yamato yes um i mean because in technically it's a similar it's it is the same gun layout roughly speaking it's obviously different guns but it is you know six 20 inch guns four forward in two turrets one aft so, in I mean, it's a very crude comparison, but effectively, if anyone's played the Shikishimba, it'll probably be that, but really fast, but no virtually no armor. And I don't, I don't know what Shikishima's guns are like. I've never played the thing, um, but um, I mean, we do have twenty-inch guns in game, so I guess we can take a hmm. take a lead off of that. I'm, I'm assuming, given that it's British, they'll have some obscene burn chance on them but you never know 55 percent mm. oh yeah okay there it is <laughs> yeah. also yeah, so... it it comes armed with 12 kilometer torpedoes that you can single launch if you so desire yeah that's that's fisher all right in fact that's beatty <laughs> as well 
Uh, at some point, uh, possibly as an April Fool's or something, I have to try and persuade Wargaming to make BT's vision of HMS Eagle as a premium carrier. I mean, uh, you've got to be careful. I mean, uh, HMS Thunder has started out as an April Fool's. So <laughs> yeah, but precedent. HMS Eagle special, because you see, HMS Eagle is a converted battleship carrier, so it's only capable of about 20, just over 20 knots. But it is an aircraft carrier. But under BT's original conception of it, it was also going to have 18 torpedo launchers. <laughs> uh, he, he had this manic idea of like flying around with aircraft during the day and then at night driving this slow, reasonably heavily armoured aircraft carrier into the middle of enemy cruiser formations and dropping torpedoes left, right and centre like some kind of gargantuan slow Kitakami. Um I, I would pay good right. money to see people trying <laughs> desperately to work out how to deal with the torp-spamming aircraft carrier. It would be like the Graf Zeppelin, but, like, on Worse. steroids, kind of. It's like, oh, yeah, just come yeah. in range so I can torpedo you with all of my torpedoes. It's basically going to be its one weakness is the fact it can't actually go anywhere fast. Yeah. It's like, come back here. I, by the way, in Comparable, we'll do like 33 knots and mm-hmm. uh, come with a speed boost. Also a short-range hydro and a fighter mm-hmm. or spotting aircraft. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 ha- I did kind of tongue-in-cheek ask them, please make sure it's as, as hilariously able to break speed-wise as uh, Repulse was before they nerfed it. I, I don't did. know, did you, did, did you play Test Repulse? I did. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, I rigged mine for speed. Um, I put the the, the um, speed boosts uh, module on it. Uh, obviously, the flags for speed, the the skills for speed, etc. And when I was stealthed, uh, when I was not visible with the engine boost going, I could hit just over forty two knots, <laughs> which was hilarious. Yeah, I was I was overhauling our own destroyers, <laughs> motoring out, and everyone was like, "What the heck are you doing?" And I dropped a, a mere thirty-eight knots when I was spotted, and then they took it away. So I was sad, um, and they took away the speed, but the speed regimen as well. So you you could still get it fast, just not that hilariously fast. But I did yeah. kind of ask them, "Well, you know." Baseline incomparable was supposed to be faster than repulse, so if we can still have that same hilarious combo, I was kind of looking forward to running around in a twenty-inch armed glass cannon at forty-three, forty-four knots and scaring the living daylights out of Kabarosks. <laughs> but um, I don't think they're going to let me. Yeah, I mean you have thirty-three base and ten percent from speed boost, and then you can add the flag. So, mm. and you you come with a one thousand one hundred sixty meter turning circle, so you probably want to stay in a straight line anyway. Yeah, yes. I mean the thing's a thousand foot long anyway, so yeah. it's it, you, you'll probably feel agile just through the sheer size of it. It's only it's only like a three ship length turning circle. But it has a uh, 13.5 kilometer stealth, so it's going to be absolutely sneaky, because obviously a massive ship like that, you would mm. never see. Oh, coming. Yeah. oh yeah. I think we, we seem to have very long ago at this point decoupled actual ship size and height from the in-game stealth values. I, I, I think it's probably window. carrying a somebody else's problem field um, on it. <laughs> Because yeah. it, 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 I think its stealth margin probably just comes from somebody looking through the binoculars and going, it's a thousand foot battle cruiser traveling up 30 plus. No, I must be on something. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? 
you have 13.5 kilometer detection, right? And then you mm-hmm. have, will have concealment expert and a module. And you have 12 kilometer torpedo range. Mm. Stealth torping battle cruiser. Stealth torping battleship. That's exactly uh, what. <laughs> uh, Fisher would be so proud. <laughs> Uh, I am looking forward to play testing that. Also a Sigma of 2.0, so. Not a shotgun, then. No. Well, it makes sense. With only six, with only six guns, yeah. if you had it any lower than that, you'd never hit a thing. But you only have like 17.6 kilometer fire. So it's a weird design because it's like somewhat short range for a battleship, but very squishy, yeah. incredibly stealthy, well, incredibly fast, doesn't like to turn. You'll still be able to get the extra, what is it, 16% from the module and then put the potential of a spotter on top of that. So mm. it's not going to be yeah. hurting for range, but it's not, it's, it's certainly not going to be, I'm going to sit it. 27 kilometers and hit things like yeah. the Yamato can. I mean, w- would yeah, you well. really build this with a range module, or would you just go for a reload? Probably reload. To, to be honest, I'm I'm going to rig it for speed and torps. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, I, I, I am giant torp boat. I do not care. <laughs> <laughs> just turn in circles and stealth torp from the back. The world's yeah. most heavily armed destroyer. Yes. Yeah, I can just type do you see torpedo boats in chat moments before I appear out of concealment. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah, but I mean, Incomparable is one of these weird designs. It's like almost everyone who's interested in naval history has heard about it at one point or another. Everyone agrees it was completely and utterly nuts. But it was also one of those slightly scary things in that it was completely and utterly nuts, but also technically feasible. Okay, I was kind of wondering about that actually, how much they'd had to fudge things, but yeah, well, one of the things, one of the things that you know, when it comes to building large ships, some nations do have actual physical infrastructure problems, as in they do not have the shipyards capable of building them. Um, the French had this problem quite a lot; they had to build the Richelieu's without their bows or sterns and attach them afterwards because the shipyards they're building didn't have slipways long enough. The Germans definitely had this issue. This is one of the reasons why anything much past H39, H40 is complete vaporware, because they physically did not have the yards to build them, um, apart from all the other issues with them. But the British actually, weirdly enough, did have the yards capable. They had a yard or two capable of turning out something like incomparable. The thing that usually stopped them from building absolutely gargantuan ships was where you could service them because they had again one or two ports in the uk where you could actually maintain and service this thing but they were obviously looking at it in terms of empire so one of the design criteria for hood and actually one of the design criteria for another set of ships that i hope we'll eventually see in game the n3 and g3s oh yeah i definitely would like to see them too yeah was that you 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 have to um be able to fit these things in the dry docks at Gibraltar, the dry docks at Malta, and several dry docks in the UK. And so whilst theoretically you could build something the size of Incomparable, it would basically only ever be able to serve with the home fleet Mm -hmm. because that's the only place that they could maintain it at. Um, And that would rule out a lot of designs that theoretically they could build, but 
wouldn't be of any real use to the to the overall empire. And I mean, that's one of the reasons with the G3 and N3, where you start off with um, the L's, uh, the K's, the L's, and the M's event eventually. And as it drifts apart to get at the N and G going in either direction, the designs are actually getting smaller and more compact specifically to allow them to operate globally. Um, and I mean, now we've got the German battlecruiser line. There's no excuse not to have a British battlecruiser line. I, I, yeah, I think the next couple of years we will absolutely see mm. British battlecruisers. I mean, there, there is quite a, a lead in time with getting an entire line modded, but uh, I don't know yeah. they have. Um, idea in mind of when they want them to be in game by. Yeah, and, and I mean, I th- Repulse and now this thing being announced, you know. Yeah, and I, I think actually in for the British Battlecruiser line, we'll probably see some, something very similar to the German one in that we'll probably get up to tier seven with realis- with real designs that either were actually built or at least under construction, and then eight, nine, and ten will probably be paper designs. Oh, I did. I was I was talking to the other day, who, who was a particular fan of the... the Was it even last week with Erun, maybe? Mm. I think it was, actually. And uh, kind of, well, you know, there were supposed to initially have been four Admiral class, so yeah. it might not be out the bounds of possibility that we get a kind of modernised, uh, fictional modernised Admiral class in a, a Tier 8, perhaps. Well, the the thing is with the um the admiral the final version of the admiral class was going to be slightly different from Hood because Hood was kind of it was the original admiral design but they modified mm-hmm. it under construction. The other admirals were supposed to be modified from design rather than whilst under construction, so they would have turned out slightly different. So the I mean the line that I've been thinking of would be an admiral at tier seven because we've got Hood at tier seven already, mm-hmm. so you'd have kind of an admiral there as well. Um, Renown would be tier 6 Tiger would be tier 5 Lion would be tier 4 and then Invincible or Indefatigable would be your tier 3, probably Invincible and then going up the other way for the tier 8 I'd probably put the F3 um, which is the Battlecruiser option that was rejected in st- and they did Nelson instead after the Washington Treaty so F3 is basically, it's Nelson except with 15-inch guns, so all forward, and um, faster. It's battlecruiser speeds um, and a thin arm of 12-inch angled instead of 14. So that would make a really, I think, pretty decent um, Tier 8. Tier 9, I think you put the G3, because um, it, effectively it's a slightly oddly laid-out Iowa in almost all respects. Um, so it sits quite, I think it would sit quite nicely at the, at the tier nine level. And then probably at tier 10, you'd want maybe, um, maybe the, uh, J, the J3 design, probably something like that. The, the J or K designs, basically the very earliest of the 1920s battlecruiser iterations when they were looking at slightly larger ships with 18 inch instead of, um, 16 inch guns. Mm -hmm. And um, that that would give you a nice um, tier ten battle cruiser, and that completes a battle cruiser line. But who knows? We'll see how it go, pans out. Incomparable is probably just a little bit too op to include as a, <laughs> as a, as a standard research ship. Yeah, that definitely fits being oh, I don't know, research points or steel or something. Mm. So, how fast do you think incomparable guns turn? Those massive five hundred eighty millimeters. 
I mean, they announced Repulse getting buffed to, like, 30 seconds. I said, another one mm. of those stats that doesn't really, you know, it's become decoupled from reality. So... Yeah, I think the problem, the, the problem when it comes to Repulse is... Is when along the timeline do you t- do you take it? Because if you take do you take it as its 15 inch gun rotation back in World War One, or do you take it as its 15 inch gun rotation in 1941, um, or somewhere in between? Um, but yeah, I, I would suspect the gun rotation on for a 20 inch gun turret has got to be fairly long. I mean, you look at Yamato and Shikishima and Satsuma. Yeah. You're talking probably about that level of turret rotation. Uh, yeah, 45 seconds are at absolute minimum. Yeah. No, it's it's 30 seconds. It's in the stats. Oh, does it actually say 30 seconds? What? It actually says 30 okay. seconds. Well, 28 like I said, seconds, read out 30 seconds. Completely, you know, decoupled from reality at this point. So, yeah, there's all <laughs> these no. things that are now just, they're used to soft balancing stats. That when this thing comes somehow out... So when this thing comes out for testing, yeah. given that we're 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 talking about we're talking about thirty second gun rotation on a with two two point oh sigma on twenty inch guns, thirty three plus not top speed torpedoes and good concealment. Sub eleven kilometer stealth, probably. Do we want to form a um a little formation and, and go <laughs> ruining everybody else's games when it comes out for testing. Wasn't there there some the note that it's discouraged for test ships to, to division with other test yeah, ships they, they after some Peter Kami thing? Too much. Yeah, they they try they want you to mm. at least play some so I'm just imagining two of those with like a Venezia or something. <laughs> and the Venezia like smokes close to the enemy mm. and then out of the smoke just like this charge. Charge through for smoke. We've got to give it a try at least at least once. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure somebody will. I mean, I remember, I remember when the Leon came out and it was all just triple Leon divisions all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm I must say I'm very happy with the um with the German battle cruiser line. Um. Especially the low tiers, and now that I've established that you know, the higher tiers do have some some anchor in reality as well, mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they work out. I do like secondary builds myself, so if they actually manage mm-hmm. to make these secondary builds viable, it will be. An, I think they'll probably become a rapid favourite of mine, um, and I definitely think just for historical value, Deflinger is going to be sitting in my port even after I've researched past it. I mean, I Hopefully. I know. Certainly, one or two people myself that'd be happy to see some kind of more World War One vintage stuff because that's mm. that's one of the main reasons why they play the game. Yeah, and say Sadlitz as a premium will be absolutely brilliant. That that would be a guaranteed guarantee for me. I, I'd be playing mm-hmm. that quite happily. Um, but yeah, the, I, I'm very happy with that. The Dutch cruisers are going to be interesting. I still I need to play test a little bit more on them. Um, because they they are a little bit more you know vaporware than mm. than anything else, but we we will see how those work out as well. What I figured out with the Dutch is that the air strikes you don't really want to stack them on top of each other because they have an incredibly high fire chance. So what you can mm. do is like even if you only hit like two or three bombs, you most of the time you get a fire, right? So you. Drop one airstrike, you get a fire. If the damage can, you drop the second airstrike, and mm. you just have a perma fire. And if you go with the fire road, airstrikes become a relatively consistent damage dealer. 
you still need to hit a few bombs, but the fire chance is just insane. After yeah. after bear that in mind. Yeah, I, I I think to be honest, for for all the as as was said earlier, for all the rage that initially surrounded those airstrikes, I think they they might actually serve as a benefit to the game because if you've only got a couple of them in any given game, it will be just enough to clear out people who are camping behind islands. Maybe maybe even random scatter bombing smokes and things like that get get people moving again. <laughs> I think, I think instead of the idea behind them. all turtling yeah. up. So, um, I think that's about us. We've been going for a while, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, almost, almost two hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This why end each one <laughs> ends up being longer than the last mm. <laughs> somehow. These that we do. So, uh, we've got your YouTube channel up yeah. on screen. As uh, mm-hmm. else? find you i mean i happen to know that you're on twitter for example yeah i'm i'm on twitter um as drakinafel there's also a website drakinafel.co.uk um there's a few articles written by guest authors on there there's um and the the beginnings of my public domain image hosting um i have far 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 too many images i need to scan them um in fact actually behold the, that's all photographs. Those aren't books. That's just mm. stacks and stacks of photographs. Um, and that's just one shelf unit. I have about four shelf units that are like that. You need to ring up Boris Johnson and ask for some extra lockdown so you can get through all that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the expedient of asking Mrs. Drack to do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have the scanner, but I do not have the time. Um, but, yeah, hopefully that, that will expand... Um, you know, the public domain naval photography um, battery. And uh, who knows, you know, with the Dutch cruisers coming out, I might actually make an effort to dig out the pile of photos that of the of the Dutch Dutch Navy and put those in. Because they do have a, a interesting habit of naming every other ship De Seven Provincian or De Reuter. <laughs> they do. They do like the you know, they, they like to commemorate the Golden Age over and over. And yeah. Over. <laughs> Oh dear! All right, so that's that's us then. Yeah, thank you very much yes. for having me. It's been great fun. Yeah, well, thanks yeah, for we'll, joining us. We'll definitely have you back on again at some point. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, that'd uh, be good. At latest, when like the the when they finally do do British battle cruisers. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and sit and see what happens in between. Maybe we can report back in after we've um, we've all had fun chasing people around in uh, in our incomparables. Oh yeah, when we are uh, then allowed to talk about things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. As and when they they as and when the uh, NDA is lifted. So uh, okay. thanks everybody for watching. This is it from no us way. tonight. And see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.